Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From the fog-shrouded shores of Alcatraz to the haunted hills of Calico, California is full of stories and folklore that are sure to send shivers down your spine. Today, we are going to talk about a haunted prison, a literal ghost town, and little creatures. Slap me, please. I'm in folklore heaven. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the ghost stories and folklore that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. From ancient Native Americans to Fort Alcatraz, military barracks to one of the toughest federal prisons in the nation, it's no wonder that this place is rumored to be one of the most haunted. As a portal to another dimension, Alcatraz is filled with the energy of those who came to the rock and never left. Several years ago, the Native Americans believed evil spirits inhabited the island, and tales and legends have circulated ever since. Native Americans were sometimes banished to live with evil spirits as severe punishments for violating tribal law. Both the staff and visitors to Alcatraz have heard, seen, and felt these spirits that still lurk in the shadows of the often fog-enshrouded island. In these historic walls, it is said that men's voices screams, whistles, metal doors clanging, and terrifying shouts are heard, especially near the dungeon. While the island served as a federal penitentiary, several guards reported extraordinary experiences, including hearing sobbing and moaning, terrible smells, and reports of what they called the Thing, an entity that was said to appear with glowing eyes. In addition, phantom prisoners and soldiers appeared in front of the island guards and families. During the time when the prison was still open, other guards reported hearing phantom cannons and gunshots, accompanied by such real screams that they sent seasoned guards to the ground, believing the prisoners had somehow escaped and acquired weapons. Guards would cautiously look around after taking cover to ensure they saw nothing. These incidents couldn't be explained. Often, guards reported experiencing the smell of smoke coming from a deserted laundry room as if it was on fire. The guards were driven out of the room when the black smoke was so thick, and just minutes later, the room was smoke-free again. A notoriously haunted block within the prison, the D Block, has been and remains haunted to this day. After the 1939 escape attempt, 
in which Arthur Doc Barker was killed, the Bureau of Prisons appropriated additional money for a more secure D-block, built the same as the other cell blocks. D-block was sometimes referred to as the treatment unit. It housed a total of 42 cells, all of which had varying degrees of restrictions. As inmates in D-block were not able to socialize with the general population, most of their 36 cells were similar to those elsewhere in the prison. However, they were not allowed to work or go out for meals. They were also only permitted one visit to the recreation yard and two showers each week, while all their meals were served directly in their cell. The only form of entertainment these inmates had access to was reading material approved by the prison. Furthermore, the cells overlooked the Golden Gate Bridge, and when chilly winds blew from there, it could get even colder, with one guard reportedly turning on an air conditioner to make it so. The remaining six cells in D-Block had a notorious reputation, commonly referred to as the Hole. They were used to punish the most serious of prison rule violations. Located in the lowest tier, the chilliest part of the facility, each cell was furnished with only a sink, toilet, and a dim light bulb, which guards could turn off. The prisoners' mattresses were taken away during daylight hours, and they were denied access to the yard, showers, or reading materials while serving their sentence. For up to 19 consecutive days, inmates experienced complete seclusion. Inmates were often placed naked in the cell, given a restricted diet, and confined to the pitch black. Despite the fact that inmates were permitted a sleeping mattress at night, it was removed at dawn each morning. Typically, this punishment was only used for one or two days. A former guard from the prison in the 1940s revealed that staff had often caught sight of a figure in late 1800s prison garb walking around the hallway near the strip cells. One day, an inmate was put into the hole and started shrieking that someone with shining eyes was there with him. Because of this, the prisoner's outcry of being attacked were brushed off as a practical joke amongst the guards. The convict kept on yelling until he felt silent all at once. When they inspected his cell in the morning, they found him deceased, with a shocking look on his face and marks similar to hands grasping around his neck. The autopsy proved that he hadn't killed himself. It had been done by another. At the time, many thought a guard had silenced the inmate once and for all, even though an investigation was conducted and no one confessed to the murder. Most assumed it was caused by the vengeful energy of a 19th century prisoner said to haunt the hallways. To add to the enigma, when the jailers assembled inmates for roll call, an extra convict lined up with them, the same man who had just been strangled. In complete stupefaction, guards and convicts watched as that ghostly silhouette disappeared before their eyes. D-Block's hallways today are known for mysterious cold temperatures, as well as intense sentiments. Cells 12 and 14 are the most active areas. Reports suggest cell 14D is much colder than surrounding cells, and psychics feel powerful emotions in the corners where prisoners were once subject to punishment. This section is considered quite macabre. Some park rangers refuse to even enter alone. The authors of the book, Haunted House, Richard Winner and Nancy Osborne, felt eerie feelings in cell 14D on Alcatraz when they visited. As soon as the pair and a park ranger entered the cell, they all felt strong vibrations and tingling sensations in their hands and arms. According to Osborne, she had never experienced so much psychic energy in one place, and was convinced that something was there and someone was trying to harm them. 
In the period of time between 1946 and 1963, there were several guards who experienced something unusual. Besides the talks of the constant smells and the sobbing and the moaning and the thing, sometimes a dense fog would roll in and it would reveal the old, long-diminished lighthouse accompanied by an eerie whistling and a powerful light that passed over the entire island as if it was still in action. Startled onlookers could only watch as the vision quickly disappeared without any explanation. This perplexing phenomenon occurred many times throughout the years. Even the warden of Alcatraz, a Mr. Johnston, who did not believe in ghosts, encountered unmistakable sounds of a woman sobbing, as if coming from the inside of the dungeon's walls while he accompanied a number of guests on their tour of the facility. Just as the sobbing stopped, an icy cold gust of wind blew through the entire group, chilling them to the bone. On a different occasion, several guards witnessed a chilling apparition during a Christmas party of a man wearing a gray suit, a brimmed cap, and sideburns from a mutton chop. In less than a minute, the man vanished, leaving the room deathly cold. The fire on the Ben Franklin stove was extinguished as soon as the men saw the apparition. Michael Kouri, co-author of the book Haunted Alcatraz, also reported psychic impressions. He experienced tingling sensations and recalled seeing a man with a bald shaved head who claimed he had been beaten, broken by guards, and kept in solitary confinement. During another visit to Alcatraz, renowned ghost hunter Richard Sennett and a psychic locked themselves in cell 12D, where an evil spirit is believed to live. As the steel door closed behind them, the ghost hunter felt icy fingers wrap around his neck while experienced psychic visions of twisted and dismembered bodies. During their escape attempt in 1946, convicts Bernard Coy, Joseph Kretzer, and Marvin Hubert were murdered in cell block C's utility passway. The way guards discovered that the men were in there were loud banging and clanging sounds behind the door. But once they were opened, it stopped and resumed once it was closed again. There have been reports of seeing apparitions of men wearing fatigues and hearing disembodied voices at the site those three men were found murdered. Sylvia Brown, a celebrity psychic, encountered an unseen presence when CBS News brought her to the laundry room in cell block C. She had strong impressions of violence and described a tall man with a bald head and small beady eyes. Leon Thompson, an ex-convict present at the scene, stepped forward and recalled Butcher, Abby Maldowitz by name, formerly of Murder Incorporated, who was killed in the same area by another inmate. Prison records later corroborated the details. In the old hospital ward, park personnel have heard voices and screams from inmates who were often tied to tables until they were calmed down. Al Capone's cell was once on the outer west end of cell block B in Alcatraz. Although the gangster wasn't allowed a musical instrument or a radio, many have reported hearing a banjo strumming within his cell. A number of Park Service staff confirmed that haunted history of Alcatraz when the prison was featured in the popular television program Sightings in 1992. Staff reported unexplained crashings on their own, moans, chains rattling, and a constant feeling of watching. As Sightings walked through the prison, they also brought with them a psychic investigator, Peter James, who described hearing voices of men who had been driven mad and experienced abuse, fear, and pain. There is no doubt that Alcatraz Island, with its long history and ghostly legends, is destined to live up to its nickname, Alcatraz. Hey there, folks. I wanted to stop here and uh, just 
quickly to congratulate my patron, Jen. She was the winner of the Christopher Feinstein giveaway, the get all the horror memorabilia out of my house sweepstakes. So congratulations. That is being shipped out immediately, and I'm also sending you a hoodie. So be on the lookout for that. Again, I want to thank everybody for the kind words and reviews. The reviews have been just pouring in lately on uh, Apple, and thank you from the bottom of my heart for the kind words that you're sharing. And I've been getting in sh- a couple of shout-outs on Twitter, and that's pretty cool. You know, I don't know. It's, just, it's all great. I love it. Uh, so thank you all so much. If you want to support the show, please tell a friend, rate, review, wherever you listen, or if you're so inclined, I have a Patreon, Haunted American History, obviously, patreon.com slash Haunted American History. I also wanted to let you know that you're going to be hearing a little bit more of me coming up. I'm going to start doing more um, original stories. I have a few of my own coming, as also, like I said, I think I mentioned this before, um, bringing on some guest, guest authors, and I have a few of their stories, and I'm going to start doing some more um, classic stories, so I'm aiming for twice a week, possibly three times a week of Haunted American History. I hope I didn't, don't uh, um, overstake my, over, over, overstay my welcome, overstay my welcome. I hope you don't get sick of me. So, uh, yeah. So let's uh, let's keep this tour of California going, and thank you all so much, and yeah, I love you. Bye. Well, not bye. Again, I keep saying bye in the middle. And we continue. Hey, folks. I've got a nice little factoid for you guys. Do you know that one in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket lists? If that's you, which odds are one in five, Make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. And if you struggle with pronunciation, like old Chrissy over here, Babbel will work miracles. Head on over to babbel.com slash haunted for a special deal for my listeners. Right now, you can get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but that's only for my listeners at babbel.com slash haunted. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash haunted. Rules and restrictions may apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Calico is a historic and restored ghost town located three miles north of Interstate 15 between Barstow and Yermo, California. During the spring of 1881, Calico's richest mine, the Silver King, was discovered. On a narrow mesa between Wall Street Canyon and Odessa Canyon, less than a year later, the new settlement had several businesses on the commercial street flanked by tents and adobe buildings. And as the name suggests... 
the mountains are awash in a variety of colors. In the spring of 1883, after borax was discovered three miles east of Borate, many of the local miners left Calico, leading to a devastating fire that destroyed much of the camp. But fortune changed in 1884 as additional silver discoveries were made, bringing a population of about 2,500 and an array of establishments ranging from saloons and gambling dives, which never closed, to more legitimate organizations like churches, a public school, a dance school, and a literary society. The town also supported dozens of retail businesses. The Oro Grand Mining Company built an even larger stamp mill on the north bank of the Mojave River in 1888 for $250,000 after many mines consolidated after 1884. By the end of the century, the narrow-gauge Calico Railroad connected Daggett to the Silver King Mine via the stamp mill. Calico's mining district became one of the state's richest by the late 1800s, and prospectors searched for their fortunes. During its heyday, Calico produced 86 million in silver and 45 million in borax. However, when the price of silver dropped from $1.31 an ounce to 63 cents during the mid-1890s, the district was reduced to a ghost of its former self. In 1907, when the borax mining in the district ended, the narrow-gauge Calico Railroad was dismantled and the town officially died. Calico was revived in 1917, when a cyanide plant was built to recover valuables from the Silver King mine dumps. By 1935, the town was abandoned and left to Mother Nature's elements. As a boy, Walter Knott spent a lot of time in Calico because his uncle lived there, so Knott's Berry Farm in Buena Park acquired the town site and began restoring it in 1950. At the time of World War I, Knott was even helping to build a silver mill there. Knott's time spent there no doubt influenced his decision to buy the town and restore it. It loops through steep canyons and hills past old mines and buildings north of Calico and is one of the reconstructed attractions. The original town site has been mostly rebuilt with new and restored buildings but around one-third of it is original, and the remaining newer buildings were carefully reconstructed to recreate Calico's Old West spirit. Calico is one of many San Bernardino County regional parks that Knott donated in November of 1966. As a result of Walter Knott, Calico is no longer a crumbling ghost town, but it still gives visitors a sense of what life was like back then. A glimpse into Calico's rich history is provided by its false front stores and saloons, towered by the craggy mountains above and overlooking the desert valley below. It is possible to take walking tours of Calico with historians who examine the life of miners during that period. Among the many attractions in town are a narrow gauge railroad, a hard rock silver mine, a schoolhouse, a blacksmith shop, saloons, and a gold panning operation that is open to visitors. There are numerous shops, restaurants, and other attractions at the Calico town site, as well as a full-service campground, camping cabins, and a bunkhouse below the town. The town is one of California's best tourist values because of its reasonable admission price, and the prices at its restaurants, shops, and other attractions are very reasonable as well, at least by California standards. There is more to Calico, though, than its rich history, meticulous restoration, and gunfights that took place there. Allegedly, this old town is haunted by several, I'll give you a hint, it rhymes with ghosts. It's ghosts. It, it, it's haunted by several ghosts. One such ghost is Lucy Bell King Lane, a woman who lived in Calico for nearly 70 years. 
and is one of the most frequently spotted spirits. With her parents, two brothers and a sister, Lucy moved to Bismarck, a town nearby overlooking Gallico, when she was just 10 years old. Lucy had to slide down a steep slope to get to school in the morning, and then hike up a hill to get there. At the age of 18, she married John Robert Lane, and they opened a general store that sold clothing, nails, and hardware. They prospered briefly, but when the silver market began to decline in 1899, the couple left Calico. When the couple returned to Calico in 1916, they set up shop in the old courthouse and post office building. Four years later, they moved into the old courthouse. Although John died in 1934, Lucy lived a long life, staying in the same house until she died in 1967 at the ripe old age of 93. Their old home is now a museum that exhibits the Lane's life, as well as the mining materials, photographs, and Native Americans displays from the era before Calico silver deposits were discovered. For four decades, Lucy's presence has been felt near her beloved old hometown. People have reported seeing her walking between her old store and her home with a long black dress on, likely the one she wore to her burial. Her rocking chair, too, has been known to rock back and forth on its own accord. Pictures have been found in piles on her floor after being mysteriously taken off the walls during the night. Clerks at Lane's old store often hear strange noises and catch movement in their peripheral vision as they believe it's caused by Lucy. The house that belonged to this special woman was the only original building still standing in Calico for many years. However, Lucy Lane isn't the only phantom in Calico. Some people have reported about seeing a little girl who was around 11 or 12 years old, smiling through the window of that same schoolhouse on the hill in Calico. She's even waved at passerbys from time to time. Some visitors have reported seeing floating red lights inside the school as well as phantom teachers and another child who has been known to grab people's legs and pinch their ankles. The most incredible story involves two British tourists who had a lengthy chat with someone dressed in period clothing. This person claimed to be the last teacher in Calico. When it was time for them to go, they took photographs with this alleged educator. After they got home, they discovered that their photos did not contain the staff member, even though there were no employees working at the schoolhouse at the time. To their astonishment, research revealed that Margaret Oliver, who the woman claimed to be, passed away in 1932 and is buried in Calico Cemetery, and she had been the final school mistress in Calico. The hills surrounding Calico were once home to dozens of mines, and many pits and ruins still remain to this day. However, Calico is the home to the Maggie Mine, which produced more than 13 million in silver ore and has been open to visitors for some time now. It should not be surprising that many believe spirits lurk within the mine's depths, given the 1,000 feet of tunnels that are open to the public. There have been reports of extreme cold spots throughout the mine, as well as feelings of having one's hair stand up, especially where the two miners called the Macaulay brothers lived. In spite of the fact that portions of the mine are hidden beyond grates, Macabre mannequins add to the sense of spookiness. A man leaning on a fence allegedly was punched in the leg by an angry old cowboy spirit near the Maggie's Mine, which is now called Hank's Hotel. Many people have reported something tugging on their wrists, hands, and clothing along the boardwalk in front of the hotel as well. There is, however, no general blame for these antics on the angry cowboy, but rather a child who roams the boardwalk and the surrounding area, who is believed to be around the age of five years old. Calico's last marshal, Tumbleweed Harris, is also said to haunt its boardwalks on Main Street. 
Several visitors have reported seeing a big man with a white beard who fits the description of Harris. From the barn that used to host regular Saturday night dances at the Calico Corral, some people have often heard the sounds of crowds and celebrations. An old-fashioned piano and rowdy crowds have been heard when no one was inside Lil Saloon, one of Calico's original buildings. Employees have also reported a jingle of spurs and other sounds that cannot be explained. Another spectral lady in a long white dress has frequently been seen walking near the outskirts of the ghost town near Esmeralda, who has allegedly taken residence in the building that once housed the town theater, now the R&D Fossils and Mineral Shop. Lastly, Calico had another famous resident, Dorsey, the mail-carrying dog. In 1883, the hungry and foot-sore black-and-white shepherd was found on Jim Stacy's porch by him. In addition to his duties as postmaster, Stacy became fascinated by a mine in nearby Bismarck, and Dorsey became his faithful friend. Stacy found himself needing to get an urgent message to his partner at the mine. After tying a note to Dorsey's neck, and wouldn't you know it, the dog returned, with a reply. This led Stacy to make Dorsey a regular mail carrier. With pouches strapped to his back, he would ferry mail between Calico and Bismarck. For three years, Dorsey proved invaluable, and when someone made an offer for $500 for him, Stacy refused, saying, I'd rather sell a grandson. The Ballad of Calico by Kenny Rogers revived the dog's legend in 1972. It was called Dorsey, the mail-carrying dog. And of course, he had been revived in Haunted Calico in another way, as a spectral dog. A shadow-like apparition at the cemetery and near the print shop, which stands near where the post office's original location was. Dorsey has been seen several times. He's a good boy. Listen, don't let the ghost of Calico stop you from visiting this great old ghost town. Unless you plan on leaning on Hank's fence. I have one more quick little thing to talk about, but before I get to it, I wanted to remind everybody that the end of the month, February 24th, my first ever audio drama is premiering right here on Haunted American History's channel, Seclusion. And I'm excited to share that trailer with you now. What if I came up for a weekend? I'm not here to party, Betsy. Party? I mean, we haven't partied since 1965. You're sober and I'm lame. I have to write. I know. I mean, I wouldn't disturb you. I've heard that all before. All recordings and testimonies heard today are pertinent to the case of Annie Marie Singleton. Seclusion. My name is Vince LaRusso. I'm a detective with Grafton, Vermont Police Department. Seclusion. Betsy, would you introduce yourself for our records? My name is Elizabeth Stewart. Seclusion. Is there anything in your conversation to suggest that your sister was in trouble? No, she sounded... This is harder than I thought it would be. Seclusion. Seclusion. Nobody you can think of from your past who'd wanted to disrupt her life in some way. I don't know. The internet is crazy, so I... Betsy. Seclusion. Seclusion. Is there any... Seclusion. Seclusion. ...conceivable reason to believe... Seclusion. Seclusion. ...that Annie committed those murders? Seclusion. 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 Seclusion begins on February 24th and runs through March. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this.
And since we've been talking about mines and mining and a mining town, you know, the industry of mining dates back centuries. And along with the backbreaking work and dangers of working underground comes the century-old superstition known as the Tommyknocker. As Irish leprechauns and English brownies, these impish gnome-like men were called burgersters. Or, oh boy, this is a German word, and burglar Karfenlein? Probably. If you're German, please don't. Please, I'm sorry. I can't even pronounce English words. Uh, if you've been listening to this show this long, you understand that I can barely speak the language. So basically, the word translates into mountain ghosts or little miners. I can't believe I'm going to leave this in the episode, but I'm doing it. These wee little men were believed to be the souls of the Jews who crucified Christ and worked in the tin mines as slaves for the Romans. This belief was so strong that they were never heard on Saturdays or at Jewish holidays. Weird. The creatures are about two feet tall and usually described as greenish in color. They usually wear a traditional miner's outfit and look like men. Oh my god, they're the cutest little things. Over the centuries, the underground creatures have been known for their good and bad deeds, often playing practical jokes and committing random acts of mischief, such as stealing food and tools left unattended. Tommyknockers were first reported in the United States during the 1820s, when Cornish miners came back to work in western Pennsylvania coal mines. In search of more workers, managers frequently asked migrant miners if they knew anyone back in England who could join them. The Cornish people would typically answer, Me cousin Jack over in Cornwall would come if you'd pay ye boat ride. I cannot do accents at all. As a result, these immigrants became infamously known as Cousin Jacks and went on to form part of America's earliest mining workforce. This helped spread the Tommyknocker superstition throughout the western mines. Knockers often knock on the mine wall just before cave-ins, which gave them their nickname. Some thought the sound of hammering caused by the creaking of earth and timbers was malevolent, indicating death or injury. Others saw their knocking as well-meaning, warning the miners that a life-threatening collapse was imminent. There were some that thought the knocking would lead them to a rich ore body or good luck. In times of good fortune, these grizzled little gnomes brought miners favor and wealth. But in times of evil, they were said to bring misery, injury, and death to those who doubted their power. These highly animated characters performed many of the mining duties, working alongside the men, being blamed for many pranks and saving many miners' lives. Tommyknockers were given credit for missing hammers, but if a miner escaped a collapse, they were given credit for that as well. In later years, the legend of the Tommyknockers developed into a belief that the knockings were caused by dead miners who gave warning to the living. To secure their good graces and protection, the miners would leave food and other items in gratitude for these kind gestures. Due to the men's fear of the Tommyknockers, some mines had to close because of their overwhelmingly malevolent presence. The legend continued when the mines played out, as many claimed the Tommyknockers found work in the houses surrounding the old mine shafts. Despite the superstitions, knocking on the door allegedly foretold many family deaths or disasters. There was a belief in these diminutive miners well into the 20th century, and they will forever have a place in our history, legend, and lore. Ghost stories and folklore from California create a fascinating look into the cultural history of this beautiful state. From tales of marauding ghosts in the Wild West, to drowned spirits pining for lost loves, 
to fairies guiding travelers on their journeys. These stories are as varied as they are captivating. Whether true or not, it's easy to understand why Californians believe that beneath the sun-drenched beauty rests a spirit world, still waiting to be explored. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.